0: certainly a pleasure for me this morning to introduce to you a friend and a colleague and a former pastor of mine. Uh, the Reverend Dr. Peter Reed is no stranger to Acadia Divinity College. Uh, Peter graduated from Acadia Divinity College twice and the University, Master of Divinity, actually the silver medalist the year that he graduated from us with a Master of Divinity, and then went on, um, or came back to us later and completed his Doctor of Ministry degree in 2009. He has served as a pastor in our convention at various churches in New Brunswick, as well as here in Nova Scotia. And uh, most recently, before becoming our executive minister for our convention, he served the Emmanuel Baptist Church in Truro. As I mentioned, he was my pastor at the time when we were living in Grand Bay, New Brunswick. And we did see those two people who came from the Emmanuel Church on a particular Sunday morning and wondered what they were doing in our congregation in Grand Bay, only only to find out that we knew exactly what they were up to. But we were blessed to have Peter as our pastor gave great leadership there uh, Peter was among those who um, called me aside a particular visit. He had served at, as also a president of our convention. said to me, Harry, I think you need to be open to what the Lord may be saying to you in terms of Acadia Divinity College. And I was glad to be able to return the favor to him on a given occasion <laughs> and say perhaps you might be open to what the Lord may be saying to you with regard to leadership in our convention. Thank you, Peter, for your leadership to us. Um, as a person who is a pastor, gifted as a preacher, for those of you who have not heard him yet, you will find that out very quickly. Um, a leader, a teacher, a person who comes to us um, understanding family, uh, married, um, one daughter, three beautiful granddaughters. Um, four now, married. Four. Oh, yeah. we've got to update your yeah, we website. Update something
1: there.
0: That's right. <laughs> this continues, doesn't it? And mm-hmm. also two sons. Um, Peter loves a good laugh, and we've had wonderful times together, praying, laughing, um, rejoicing over good things, and uh, been a great encouragement in our family life as well as to our churches. So I welcome you to the Divinity College this morning, and uh, may the Lord bless you as you share the word, and Thank we'll you. pray for you just for a moment Thank as you. you share. Lord, thanks for Peter. We pray that you'd fill him today with your spirit give him Clarity about the things that you've put already on his heart and the ability to communicate them uh, in your spirit today. I pray for freedom for him in this place. Bless him as he shares your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You. Thanks, Aaron.
1: Thank well, it is a, a real privilege to be here. I just want to say... Uh, it's, it's fun for me to be here with staff, and we've been here most of the week, and I know we've met with, they've been meeting with students, and we had an opportunity to have lunch with a number of students the other day, and that was just a, a privilege and a joy. And I have to say, for me, uh, to hang out with my colleagues, uh, this team, and work with them, and And we do a little bit of laughing, too, Harry, as you know, uh, at some good times. And to actually be able to help John in his introduction to Canadian winters, uh, John Turner on our staff has come to us from England. And uh, I think he was royally baptized last evening. We even had him pushing Greg's Jeep at one point. I thought, it doesn't get any better than this. Uh, I have to say thank you to the committee for this topic this morning. That was such an easy one to come and speak to you about. I'm very grateful indeed. Uh, To make matters worse, it seems like every time I preach in this chapel, I feel like a first-year student with some of my professors here. So anyway, uh, having said all that, let's get to it. Uh, I want to take a few moments, and and, and I'm going to probably outline a theological position that very much reflects who I am and and my position, and uh, hopefully it will remain true to the CABC's position as well. Uh, I want to talk to you about, in a sense, what I believe about the equality of men and women. And I want to also just say that, that I would see God's call on our lives based more on giftedness than on gender. So I, I will bring those two uh, ideas to the fore at the very beginning to tell you that's the bias I come from. Uh, while there is an incredible array, array of women leaders in both the Old and New Testaments, I'm not even going to touch on that this morning. There's just, this is, topic is much too large for, for a short chapel service. So others could speak to that. And I'm going to try and limit my discussion to three overarching ideas, which I think lay the foundation for the equality of men and women, and it is this. First of all, I think it's grounded fully in the concept of the image of God as it is expressed in both men and women. And then secondly, I I want to talk just briefly to you this morning about uh, the Trinity, that There is something of the just an amazing beauty in the mutuality and the harmony expressed in the Trinity and the relationship of the three persons of the Trinity. We are Christians and we are Trinitarian, and uh, I think it, it impacts us in many ways. And then finally, I will just say a word about Jesus and His life and ministry and how He treated women while he was here on earth. So just those three things, I'm going to try and do them briefly. I know this is not to be a long chapel service, and so now my task is to try and do this in a very brief amount of time. Uh, The passage that was read to you, uh, particularly verse 26, that says, And God said, Let us make humankind, is probably a very good translation, humankind in our image and after our likeness. And then verse 27 where it says, God created humankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. There is this sense in which the image of God is expressed in humankind in both men and women. Uh, That both maleness and femaleness reveal part of the nature and character of God. And I just need to say to you that we are both created equally in the image of God. And men and women, in a sense, reflect different aspects of God's nature in our maleness and in our femaleness. But I also want to say to you, there's a sense, I I believe this very deeply, there's a sense in which the image of God expressed in maleness alone or in femaleness alone is incomplete. It is really humankind, men and women together, I think best reflect God's image when we walk and work together in harmonious uh, human relationships. What Maxine Hancock would refer to as non-sexualized human relationships. And so I think the image of God is, is expressed beautifully in both men and women and separately we're incomplete and I think in a very real way there's a sense in which together there is a completeness that comes. Now in the twenty-eighth verse of Genesis one, we're given the details of the work that God gave to men and women when he placed them in the garden. This is before the fall. Now you all have had, you know, Bible 101. You know that the fall happens in chapter 3. And so let me just say to you that that God gives a special task to both men and women, to them, it says Uh, that Adam and Eve are told to be fruitful and multiply, to increase the number, to subdue the earth and rule over it. And nowhere, and I just need to say this very clearly, nowhere in this chapter do we read that woman is to be subject to man. There's not a hint of male domination in this chapter and in this passage. In fact, it would appear that there's this wonderful partnership between men and women, and God has placed them here to take care of, steward, and in some ways govern creation given to them by God. This is prior to the fall. Did I say that before? Just just let me say. Provan argues the idea of gender relations is laid out before the fall in the narratives of Genesis 1 and, 1 and 2. In Genesis 1, the emphasis is on male and female, on sexual different differentiation and togetherness, sharing joint authority over creation. In Genesis 2, the emphasis is on kinship and sharing and intimacy. Maxine Hancock, in an article, Can We End the Gender Wars? uh, says, As brothers and sisters, can we acknowledge our creational differences without making them the basis of our relationships? And I like that little quote. Uh, Stan Grenz, who's now gone on to be with the Lord, says, Sexuality is the primary sign of our being created for relationship, the continual reminder that we need each other. And I would suggest to you that it is only after the fall, in Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world, a curse comes upon humans, that the tension between men and women begins in earnest. It is there that we see men beginning to dominate women. And I'm not going to talk about Old Testament and patriarchal stuff. I'll let somebody else do that. Maybe the panel will get get some questions on that. But I want to just simply say to you, as I understand Genesis 1 and 2, that God created us equal uh, and gave us this wonderful shared partnership of responsibility of being stewards over the rest of creation together. Secondly, let me just say a word about the Trinitarian nature of God. One God, three persons. In recent years, I think it's wonderful to me that we've been reminded by scholars in recent years that to be created in the image of God is to be created for relationship and community. Uh, I was here in this college having Dr. Allen Sell as my professor chafing under the bit of his sometimes stubborn British ways, John, I must say, but learning much from a dear brother whose theology differed from mine in some ways because he was very much more reformed in his theology than I was, but I think had a wonderful and marvelous view of the Trinity and the understanding of community. Within the Trinity, we see relationship and community, I think, expressed in its highest form. The persons of the Trinity relate together as complete equals. They demonstrate love, deference, mutuality, harmony, and voluntary submission to each other in true community. Again, Stan Grenz, speaking of the Trinity, said, the one God is the social Trinity, the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Consequently, God is fundamentally relational. The persons of the Trinity are fully equal and mutually dependent in what he calls transcendent mutuality. The model of the Trinity lays a foundation for godly relationships, an emphasis on the interdependency and mutuality between male and female. Mary Stuart Van Leeuwen's poignant words, we are so unshakably created for community that we cannot even develop as full persons unless we grow up in nurturing contact with others. Moreover, the fulfillment of our sociability depends on fellowship with the opposite sex. Similarly, on the basis of uh, some of you are familiar with Jean Vanier and Larche, and uh, um, I th- personally here's an aside. Okay, personally, I think Jean Vanier. Uh, is someone who helps us as Christians in Canada understand what it is to be more Christ-like in our relationships with vulnerable people. And here's what John Vanier says, and I love it. He says, each human being is incomplete. Our bodies are incomplete. Man has the need of woman, woman has the need of man. Each is made for the other. In what sense? Man and woman are as mirrors to each other. Their differences reveal to each other who he is or she is. These permit each one to be himself or herself in his masculinity or her femininity. I do believe that the Trinity is our model of how to build relationship and community. There is in the Trinity this lovely understanding of both mutuality and deference and dependence upon one another in a very beautiful way. So let me conclude talking about the Trinity by sharing with you the lovely words of the Apostle Paul who said, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. I'm not quite through. That's just point number two. Sorry. A few more minutes and we'll have lunch. Now, I I want to say that Jesus, in His coming and in His relationship with women, I think has much to teach us. Paul Jewett says this, he says, it was not so much in what he, speaking of Jesus, not so much in what he said as in how he related to women that Jesus was a revolutionary. In this relationship, his lifestyle was so remarkable that one can only call it astonishing. He treated women as fully human, equal to men in every respect. No word of deprecation about women as such is ever found on his lips. As the Savior who identified with the oppressed and the disinherited, he talked to women and about women with complete freedom and candor. Jewett goes on to say, Here was a man who broke the barriers of tradition and custom in a way that put women completely at ease in his presence. The fact that Jesus had a group of women followers who accompanied him on his preaching missions was unheard of. Joachim jeremias says, An unprecedented happening in the history of that time. Jesus knowingly overthrew custom when he allowed women to follow him. Jesus was not content with bringing women up onto a higher plane than was the custom, but as the Savior of all, he brings them before God on equal footing with men. I refer you to the story of Martha and Mary in Luke chapter 10. You all remember it. You've heard it preached or preached that passage, probably. Certainly I have many times. It's the story, you remember when Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha got angry and got angry at Jesus, actually. She said, why haven't you sent that woman to the kitchen to help me? <laughs> you know the story. And we often preach that story to talk about Martha's sort of anxious, over-busyness you know, we, call, we like to call people Marthas as they're trying to get everything done. They want it perfect and just right. But we often look at that passage and talk about the, the devotion of Mary. She was, she was the one who sat at the feet of Jesus, drinking in His words and His teaching. But what we often fail to recognize is the revolutionary nature of Mary's behavior. It was unheard of for women to act as any other male disciple and sit at the feet of the rabbi. Craig Keener says in his background commentary to the New Testament, Mary's posture and eagerness to absorb Jesus' teaching at the expense of a more traditional womanly role would have shocked most Jewish men. One author commented, Martha was doing a really feminine job, whereas Mary was behaving just like any other disciple, male or female, and that is a hard pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. Suffice it to say that Jesus' treatment of women in his ministry was nothing short of revolutionary in the culture in which he lived. Now, I want to just say a few words to you about the convention. Because I come representing this family of churches known as the Convention of Atlantic Baptist Churches. What is our position on women in ministry in Atlantic Canada? Well, the practice of ordaining women really dates back well into the 1800s as Baptists in Atlantic Canada. In the 20th century, the first woman who was ordained as a Baptist pastor was Josephine Moore. 1954, which was the year I was born, so that wasn't yesterday. (coughs) It also dates me a little bit, doesn't it? (coughs) In our own regulations, we say this, both male and female candidates shall be examined for ordination. It is quite clear that as a denomination we would hold a more egalitarian view of women and men in ministry together. I'm not saying... By that that it's always been easy for women in ministry in Atlantic Canada. It certainly hasn't been. I'm not saying that there have always been wide open pulpits to women in ministry in Atlantic Canada. It's not always been easy. And it still isn't at some times. So I need to just say that right up front. But we are Baptists, nonetheless. And because of our polity, uh, which is democratic, it is kind of a grassroots polity, A bottom-up polity, we have always allowed for diversity among our churches, both in how we worship and even in what we believe. The fact that we believe in the autonomy of the local church and that we don't have a top-down hierarchy means that while we hold certain theological positions as a denomination, and often they're ones we've agreed on as delegates at assembly together, uh, there is still freedom amongst our churches to hold differing views on a number of issues. One of them, particularly this one, women in ministry, we do have those who hold different views. Greg Jones has often said, and I like his statement, we don't make this a test of fellowship within the CABC family. And so we have those among us. Uh, Certain churches and pastors who would say, no, I hold a more sort of complementarian view of, of women in leadership, and they are still part of our fellowship. At the same time, we're very clear with both associations and local churches and individuals who serve on our examining council. And if you don't know what that is, some of you, if you're Baptist students, you will find out. And if you proceed towards ordination, you will meet with the examining council, a wonderful group of people who will treat you very kindly. They want to know pretty much everything you believe about the Lord and about the Bible and your own theology. Uh, What we say to those folks who serve on examining council, regardless of what church you might come from, is that it is the position of our denomination to affirm and examine people not on the basis of gender, but on the basis of their call to ministry. Have they been affirmed by the local church that is commending them to us? Have they met all the educational requirements to be a Baptist pastor, and have they been commended by the Board of Ministerial Standards and Education to come to examining council? And we say to folks, when you come and serve on examining council, we ask you, please don't, don't just vote by your uh, your personal conviction or maybe even what your church believes, because we are here as a denomination saying we have for a long time now uh, encouraged and uh, approve of both men and women for ordination. And I'm glad to say that in the last number of years, uh, we've had great support for that. And, and on the occasion, if there's someone on the council that struggles, they can always abstain from voting if that's a problem. <clears throat> I could say more, but I'm, going to, I'm just going to conclude with this. Let, let me tell you a story about Ken Phillips. Ken is a friend of mine. He was one of the members of, uh, of a church I pastored, the Emmanuel Baptist Church that Harry mentioned in Truro. Ken served as president of the convention, I think somewhere back in the 1980s, and has been a very strong layman and, and a wonderful Christian brother in our fellowship. But I'll never forget having a conversation one day with Ken about his conversion to Christ. And his eyes lit up. And he said, I need to tell you, I came to faith under the ministry and the preaching of Josephine Moore when she was pastoring in Gagetown, New Brunswick. And God used Josephine powerfully in the life, not just of Ken Phillips, but of many people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. People who today are serving Christ and involved in various aspects of ministry of our local churches. That's a great thing. So I want to just conclude by saying I believe that God gifts both men and women for ministry in the church of Jesus Christ. And I do that unashamedly. And I want to say this. The Apostle Paul writes these words in the book of Romans, inspired by the Holy Spirit, when he said, God's gifts and His call are irrevocable. I leave you with that. And I know that that there are those of you who may want to have conversation, who struggle with this and have questions and maybe think differently, and that's okay. Um, But I, I want to leave you with this today to say, Can we appreciate one another and realize that God uses both men and women for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the sake of humanity, together we have been called to this ministry. God bless you. Let's pray. Lord, uh, this passage of Scripture in Genesis is so beautiful and so powerful to me. Understanding that before the fall, men and women, equal in the eyes of God, created in the image of God, partnered together without struggle, without competition, without tension. And Jesus, You came to restore us. To restore humanity that is so broken. We, we, we have so many broken and difficult relationships where we try to use power and domination to control one another. And it breaks the heart of God. And yet, Jesus, You came to restore us to full humanity. And Lord, I understand that in some ways this will not be consummated until the end of the age, but God help us to be the people of God who allow our hearts to be challenged by the Word of God. Shape us, O
0: Lord, in Your name. Amen. Amen.